Just making sure we're good to go. I, I hate to pause and do this, so bear with me. Skip forward 30 seconds if you have to, and you'll get right to the meat and the content. All right, we're good. Now, let me explain to you what we're doing today. Um, this is the topic of whether or not Christians are saved by faith alone, specifically what the Bible teaches in regards to James chapter 2, because that is the key battleground, I think, a lot of times in the conversation on this particular issue. So, let me explain what I mean. Uh, in every battle, in every war, there are certain battlegrounds, like D-Day, Normandy. There are certain certain moments, certain places, where even though the, the war is big, the war has all these fronts and different things going on, this, this front, this issue, this thing determines what happens in the war long term. Like, this is the key turning point for the battle. And in... In battles, these are the things we write about, these are the things we all talk about, we remember forever. We forget a lot of the smaller battles. And really, with theology, that's how it is too. And in theology, in the question of justification by faith alone, the battleground, one of the major battlegrounds, is James chapter 2. James chapter 2. That's what it is. So, um, this this is where we're really going to find a separation between uh, the, the biblical Christian view and then on, on one side, that's where I believe, of course, I believe I'm there, but I'm going to show you why I think uh, this is the right view. But on the other side, you're going to have Catholicism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, and just about every single other religious group out there will all agree on the opposite side of where I'll be today. Um, this, I think, is a good thing. I think that that's a sign that this is the unique gospel of Jesus Christ, but I will actually look to... Um, look to verify that. And, and I'm telling you, this is, I've been looking forward to making this video for a long time. This James two issue of, are we saved by faith alone? Or is it faith plus works? This issue, it comes up constantly. I have a, I have online a four part series on Catholicism and I'm not going to rehash that material here today. I, I deal with the historicity of it. The, the church councils, I deal with uh, Trent and things like that. I deal with the church fathers, theology, um, I mean, you name it, I, I deal with the, the popes and all this kind of stuff. But in the comment section of those videos, I constantly get nailed with James chapter 2 over and over again. I mean, I can't always reply to comments. So here's my reply. <laughs> here's my reply. But first, let me, let me be for a second the Protestant and the Catholic. I'm going to share both sides of the debate. I love doing that. I think we learn a lot by hearing two sides of a conversation. So I don't have a Catholic to debate here today, although I would be open to doing that if somebody wants to volunteer who's who's a, a rational, reasonable person, not just an internet kook. <laughs> I'm just being real here. I don't want to debate a kook like someone who can, you know, who can do it well. Um, but okay, so on the Protestant side, here's what we say. We say sola fide, faith alone. We believe that we're saved, justified by faith alone, apart from works, just like it says in Ephesians chapter two, and the Protestant would read to you, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And the Catholic would respond. Now here's what the Protestants generally don't know. The Catholic might respond with this, and I've heard many Catholics say it, sola fide, faith alone. Do you, do you know that there's only one time in the entire Bible where the phrase faith alone even comes up? And it's in James 2.24. Let's read it. It says, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. James 2.24. That 
that is the thing. In fact, in uh, in Catholic Answers, which is I think a real spearhead in the Catholic apologetics movement, right? Catholic Answers. I think it's Trent Horn is his name. He 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 was answering a question about justification, and he gave like seven steps or something to answering the issue when you're dealing with a Protestant. And he said the first thing you do, he said number one, you want to bring out James chapter two, verse twenty four. It specifically says justified by works and not by faith only or not by faith alone, seemingly to um, refute the Protestant position. You see what I'm doing right now is I'm trying to create the tension. I want you to feel the tension that people feel when they enter into this conversation so we can resolve it with a verse-by-verse -verse study through James. So the Protestant would respond to this Catholic and say, but, but Romans, Romans says in Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And in Romans 4, listen to this passage. It says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Not Now to him who works, the wages are not, not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So then the, the Catholic would turn and respond, oh yeah, but James 2.21, it says, speaking of Abraham, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? So you see what ends up happening typically in these, these conversations is you get the Catholic on one side or the Mormon or the Jehovah's Witness or the you name it, the works the faith plus works group, which is just about everybody out there except for uh, biblical Christianity. And and then you have them all line up saying, we have these passages in James. And then I say, oh, I've got, I got my passage in Romans and Ephesians and Galatians. And they go, oh yeah, we got more in James. And it seems when it's quoted out of context, it seems like it contradicts. And really the atheist wins <laughs> because, because they're like, ha, see your Bible contradicts itself. Um, so my method today is this. I don't want to use the bad methodology of using scripture to fight scripture. I find that not only irritating, but not insightful, not helpful, and nobody learns anything through it. When I just use one verse to combat another verse of scripture, whenever someone brings up a verse that challenges me, my thought is let's stop and let's just look at that passage. You brought it up, let's look at it. Let's look at it in context. Let's see what it really teaches. I won't combat it with a whole different passage. Um, so that's the, the bad method, right? Um, the good method instead is to just contextually study the passage in question. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to do a verse by verse study through James 2. I would wager most people arguing about justification, most of them have not done a careful study of James 2 verse by verse. Just looking at this passage, specifically James 2 verse 14 through 26. So here's where I encourage you guys with two things. One, get your Bible out. Get your Bible out, have it ready. I encourage you to have it open to these passages or have it on your on an app or whatever, just that you have the Bible open so you can look at it with your own eyes. And I also encourage us not to be babies. There's my big baby head on the wall. Just a reminder, don't be the baby. Don't be the baby, right? And what I mean by this is, let's not demonize you Protestants. You wouldn't even have a Bible if it wasn't for the Catholic Church and change the subject. Let's not attack... Um, the, the, the person, let's look at the passage. Like, I'm doing this with you. This is a verse-by-verse -verse study where I'm doing it with you. And I am going to give you the chance to combat and compete with what I say. At the end of this stream, I'm going to read your comments and I'm going to respond to your objections, which I hope they come. Uh, so how you'll, how you'll do this is if you're watching live on YouTube, in the live chat, you're going to go ahead and you're going to type out your questions or objections. AJ, 
uh, he's monitoring the chat. Thanks for being there, AJ. And he's going to send those things to me on my phone so that we'll isolate your specific questions out of all the rest of the chat. And I'll deal with that at the end. So here's the thing. Bible study verse by verse, and then taking on your challenges to try to get as much clarity as possible on the issue. I love this stuff, man. I, I love, <laughs> I love that truth comes out when we, when we sort of poke at it and push at it and press on it and ask questions and try to dig into the details. So what is James two really saying? Um, first, let me, uh, let me read the passage, uh, James chapter two, verse 14, all the way through 26. This is a Bible study. We're going to read through the whole passage. Then we're going to go through it again, verse by verse, just trying to understand what it says. And we'll see why I do not think this is teaching that you are justified in the theological sense by, um, by faith plus works. So James 2.14, it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac upon the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, the two verses that I think as we just read, just kind of read straight through, uh, that really jump out to me that kind of apply to this issue of how are we justified? How are we made right with God? is verse 21 and 24. So I'm going to read those again to bring them fresh into your mind. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on, on the altar? And then verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So before we, uh, before we get any further, I think there's something that we really need to, um, to nail down. And this is just a good biblical like rule principle for Bible study, something we call hermeneutics. That's a great word to learn. If you don't know it, the word hermeneutics, it's the art and science of studying the Bible or really the, the art and science of studying anything, uh, any text in particular. So our hermeneutic is how do we understand the meaning of this? How do I make sure that what it says, I'm not twisting it or changing it. I'm just understanding the plain sense. Um, so one of the problems we have is as Christians, we, we sometimes read theological definitions of words into the words in the text. Uh, let me explain what I mean. I'm going to give you an example. The, the word saved. Okay, so we know what salvation is I'm, when I'm saved. The theological definition of saved is I'm in a state of forgiveness. I have a right relationship with God. I have, um, I, I have assurance of the future of my eternal life in Christ. You know, that's what saved means, right, in the theological meaning. But the word saved doesn't always mean that. Sometimes the word saved just means deliverance from some sort of danger or suffering. Philippians 1.19 is an example of this. 
it says, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance, and that's the word saved, soter in the in the in the Greek, um, uh, through your prayer and the supplication or the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So he speaks about his deliverance, and he's talking about he's in jail and he's going to be released and he's going to be able to minister more. So Paul clearly uses the term saved and delivered, not in a theological sense, but just in a just a Webster's dictionary kind of sense or a Greek. Webster's, I don't know, Webster, <laughs> whatever the Greek version of Webster is, um, and don't say strong. All right, so First Timothy two fifteen is another good example of this. Uh, here he uses the word saved. Clearly, it does not mean theological salvation. It just means the dictionary meaning of the word saved. First uh, Timothy two fifteen says, nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self control. So here, I mean, if that, if you're going to take every time the word saved comes up, it has this theological meaning that goes above and beyond the way people in the culture used it, then you're going to say that women are saved by having kids along with a group of other works that they do. <laughs> but that's obviously not the case. And so the doctrine isn't the word. What we do is we have, we have theological doctrines, and then we come up with words to describe those doctrines. But that doesn't mean that every time the word is used, it implies the whole doctrine. And that's the key issue in the debate over James 2. Let me give you another example, because this is really, this is probably the most important thing I'll share with you tonight on this passage. So the word God, we know the theological definition of God, right? When I say God, I generally speaking, I'm talking about the eternal, omnipotent creator of all things, transcendent, omniscient, holy, triune. I'm saying all this when I say God, yet the exact same word God has other meanings that, depending on the context, you may mean. So the um, the the simple like Webster's dictionary definition of God would be like you know some sort of deity or powerful being, someone receiving worship, that sort of thing. Um, in the Greek and the Hebrew is really kind of the same way. In the Greek, it's the word theos, and it means a divine being or one who is worshipped. That's that's the dictionary definition of the Greek word theos. Now, usually in the New Testament. When the word theos is used, it's talking about that theological meaning, God, right, with all those attributes. But sometimes it just means the word meaning, not the theology behind it. So 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 is an example of this. It says, whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Now here's a verse where the same word theos is used two times. One time referring to Satan, one time referring to God. And one time having the theological meaning with all of its weight and pomp and importance. And the other time just referring to some sort of leadership being, powerful being that, that receives worship, but is not eternal, omnipotent, you know, all of those qualities that God is. So same word, different meanings, sometimes theological, sometimes just the dictionary meaning. Um, in the Hebrew, the word Elohim is even, and that's the word for God, Elohim in the Hebrew, typically translated God. Um, it's even more flexible. It's, it's used sometimes referring to angels or even human judges or just powerful beings or any deity and sometimes God, the God of Israel, the creator of the universe. So you might say, but Mike, you know, that's, that's where we have in the Bible. That's why we have the capital G's and the lowercase G's. Well, this is added later by English translators for the sake of clarity, but it's not in the original. There's no, it's not like capital Elohim, lowercase Elohim, you know, capital Theos, lowercase. It's, that's added later, and they they get it out of context. Now, why do I labor this point so much? Um, because when James says that we are justified, the question is, 
does he mean the theological definition of justification or does he just mean justification like you're justified so i use the word just like james or paul i use it in different senses so the theological meaning is this i'm made right with god my sins have been taken away i've been given the righteousness of christ and now i am right in the eyes of god i am clean i am i'm free from the future wrath of god because i've been justified made righteous that's the theological definition right but the word itself justified even in the greek it doesn't mean that necessarily it can just mean to acquit um so if someone's oh you didn't commit the crime now you're justified they'd use it for that it could mean to be de to declare someone and treat them as righteous or it could just mean to show or prove that someone is right that's it to vindicate them that's an entirely fair explanation or definition of that word let me give you an example of this and I'll, and this proves it you you don't need to know greek to know this right look i'm speaking to people you who can just read this in the english of uh, luke 7:29 this proves, this verse I'm going to quote proves that the term justification is used in the Bible in senses other than the theological meaning of being uh, given the righteousness of Christ. So Luke 7, 29, it says this, and when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. Now, nobody in their right mind would think that Luke is saying that tax collectors made God righteous, like they imputed their righteousness to God or some, some garbage like that. Like, no. It's clear that in that sense, Luke 7, 29, justified just means that they're saying, God, you really are true. We're affirming that you're right. We're affirming the truthfulness of what you're doing right now. So that that sense justified, validated, vindicated. Do you get the point? I, I hope so. I think, if, I think that makes it pretty clear. And I think I've just made a really solid case for this. So when we come back to James 2, we can come with this context of justified sometimes just means it's been made evident or made clear or it's been proved right, not necessarily given a like salvific righteousness. So we're going to take this passage and um, I will, again, I'll interact with your questions at the end of this stream if you're still watching it live. Uh, if you're not watching it live, if you're wondering, today's Tuesday, March 13th. We are live right now. And um, if you're watching it later, I still think it'll be of great value to you. Um, so we're going to take this. I will answer your questions, even your challenges at the end. I, I mean, please hit me with your best shot, <laughs> your most rational, reasonable challenge. And calling me names doesn't count. That just, that's the big baby head thing I'm looking at over there. All right. So that's the question. Um, what is James saying here? Is the passage saying that you need works to be saved? Or is it saying that works are simply a symptom that confirms you have a living or real faith? Is it saying that saving faith is the issue or is it saying that faith plus works is the issue that's the question so james 2 verse 14 let's dig in and let's let the bible be the bible what good is it my brothers if someone says he has faith but does not have works can that faith save him so this this really sets up the whole thing you, you really should read the whole book of james you know to get it all in context and i'll quote i'll talk more about context later but the beginning of the section is james 2 verse 14 it is all one section it will read the whole section and it really sets it all up. It offers a hypothetical situation. And it's, and it's James saying, hey, what good is it? What use is it if? And then it gives a, a description of a situation. And the situation is someone who says, who says, I have faith, but he doesn't have works. That's the situation. Notice this. The situation of James, uh, when he talks about works, he's not talking about sacraments. I'm, I, want, I want Catholic people to know this because 
you don't read about the sacraments for the most part in the scriptures, um, but James is not talking about them. James 1 all the way through the rest of the book, James 5, it's going to talk about simple good works. The good works James is talking about here, the good works the person doesn't have, it's not baptism and con uh, confirmation and, and Eucharist. Those aren't the things, right? The, the good works are things like being a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Uh, I'll read it to you. James 1, 22, he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone's a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, that's an example of the good work, bridling your tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from this world. So it's basically helping people in need. Uh, the use of your tongue, James 3, he talks about that again. In James 4, he talks about carnality and worldliness, like he just mentioned here at the end of James 1. So the good works that James is saying um, in, the, in this, this hypothetical person that James 2 is all about, this particular kind of guy who says, I believe, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God, I believe all that but I don't have control over my tongue and I don't help the people who need it and I don't stay unspotted from this world. So it's not about sacraments. It's about general Christian obedience and godliness, following Jesus in your life. But what the person does is he says, I have faith. It doesn't actually say he has faith. It says he says he has faith. That's an interesting differentiation, isn't it? Um, I once heard someone say that Jesus was their savior, but not their Lord. James 2 is about that. He's, he's my, I, I believe, I believe, but I don't follow. Um, that's what James 2 is about and it has a very scary message for the person who fits that description. But the issue in James 2, starting in verse 14, is that faith. Can that faith save him? Let me read it again. Get it in your heart and mind. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? Can the faith that he, where you, where you go, well, I claim to believe, but you're like not believing. Um, can that faith save? Um, in fact, hold on, I just lost my spot here. Um, okay. So I, I know that, um, if, for those of you that know a little bit of the Greek, you're going to say, well, the word that isn't actually in the Greek. And that's true. That faith, can that faith save him? But it's added generally by translators for the sake of clarity. And it, and I say generally out of 16 translations I consulted, 13 of 16 of them added the word that. 13 out of the 16, including the Catholic-approved NABRE translation. Um, so what, what I'm saying here is that can that faith save him is a fair translation of the Greek by the weight of these various translators. Um, and I think it wouldn't change my translation even if the word that wasn't there. Obviously, this particular guy's faith, that's what James is all about. That's what this passage in James is about. The guy who claims to believe, but he shows no evidence of faith... Is that guy saved? <laughs> that's that's the question. Claimed faith without obedience. And then and then uh, he simply asks at the end of James 2.14, what good is it? What good is it? That's the word aphelos in the Greek or aphelos uh, in the Greek. It means pertaining to a benefit to be derived from some object, event, or state. An advantage, a benefit, or something beneficial. What I'm saying here is what benefit, What what? how much is a faith like that going to change your life? How much is a faith like that going to affect your salvation? That's the real question. When you say, I believe, but I don't follow, is God going to respond to that kind of belief? That's what James is so far about. 
Verse 15, he says, if a brother or sister, and he's going to give an example uh, to back this up. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Um, it's, it's empty. And this is the, the, that same word, you know, the, the, a fellow. So what good is that? What? So I, the parallel here, don't miss it. The parallel is I have faith, but I don't have works. And he goes, well, you're like a guy who's like, oh yeah, go be warm and filled, but I'm not going to help you. Assuming that you could help them. That's implied in the passage here. Um, it's empty. It's actually kind of offensive. You know, it's like I pull over on the side of the road and someone's like crying out, help me out of this pit. And I go, I hope someone helps you. And I drive away. Like what a jerk, you know, like you obviously don't really mean it. There's something wrong with your hope you get better when you're not willing to do anything to help them when you could and you should. So if you believe in Jesus, but you don't follow him in practical ways, like with your mouth, with a kingdom focused mindset, with an impartial love towards others, with selflessness, those are some of the things in James that he talks about, then this uh, passage is about you. And that's, um, uh, it's good that you're becoming aware of it because now you can make a difference in your life because you need to, because that's scary. So continuing on verse 17, he says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works is dead. And this is really the main point. He gave he gave an intro, he gave an, ex, an example, and now he kind of hits with the main point in verse 17. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Works indicate something about the quality of your faith. Do you see that? The, the quality of the works isn't the thing in question. The quality of the faith is what's in question. The quality of the faith. So faith is still what's salvific in James. It's just... What do you do when someone says, I believe, but they don't show any evidence that that's real faith? Um, you say, well, if you don't have works, your faith is dead. And if you have a dead faith, you have a faith that is not saving you. That's the implication. Pretty, pretty hardcore, but not teaching that you need faith plus works. So far, it's just talking about the quality of the faith. What kind of faith actually saves versus uh, what some people call easy beliefism. Verse 18, but someone will say, and, and now this is a really misunderstood verse. And I think it's really key. I've heard Bible studies where the guys teach it and they don't understand verse 18 in my opinion. Let me tell you what I think it means. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Um, why is this uh, misunderstood? Because I think here, uh, James is doing what, pa what Paul does a lot of the time. He's setting up like a, uh, uh, a dummy to talk to. <laughs> he's, he's putting... Uh, a complaint in the mouth of someone else in his writing so he can respond to that complaint. So James just laid out some really hardcore stuff. If you really believe you're going to live it out, if you're not living it out, that's dead faith. What good is that? Implication, you're not even saved. So then what's the response? James assumes the response will be, and here he it's in quotes for a reason. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Now that you here is the dead faith person and the I there is James. So let me put it this way. Someone will say, James, or excuse me, uh, you, you dead faith person, you have faith. James over there, he has works. James is preaching works. That's exactly what the Catholic assumes and the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormon assumes about James. James is preaching works. So James in verse 18, he brings up that issue and he rejects it because he describes, no, 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 I'm not saying one of you has faith and one of us has works. I'm saying it's all about faith, but I will quote, show you, 
show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So James is going to demonstrate faith by works. So faith is still the issue, but how do you prove that there's faith? James rejects the idea that this is an issue between am I saved by faith or saved by works? He goes, no, no, it's by faith, but is the faith real? I mean, God sees your faith, you're saved, but how do I show you my faith? So then he, he sarcastically says, show me your faith without works. Well, I can't show you my faith without works. The only way to demonstrate what I believe is by how I live. So verse 18, let me read it to you again. I hope you caught it. I hope I explained that well. Um, uh, there's a reason why people get it so misunderstood. So someone will say, you have faith and I, James, has works. Show me your faith apart from your works. Ha ha ha. That's the gotcha question. And he says, and I will show you my faith by my works. So faith is the issue, not works, but works is how you demonstrate the faith. Verse 19, it goes on. James says, uh, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. It's as though he responds to the, to the person who's slowly backing away from what James is saying. Well, James, you're preaching works. He goes, no, I'm not. I'm just showing you my faith by my works. Oh yeah. Well, I believe. I mean, I believe. I really do believe. So they're going to, they're going to give a profession of faith, even though their life doesn't live out the gospel. And his response to them is, that's good. I'm glad you, you believe. You really believe. That's great. So do the demons. I mean, they know who God is. They know Jesus is real. And they tremble. They shudder because they know that wrath and judgment is coming. So the implication is that a belief that only exists in, in a sense of personal intellectual assent, that that's dead faith. If your faith doesn't, doesn't result in works in your life, well, then what kind of faith do you have? You have dead faith. This is a, um, a pretty a hardcore thing. And I know many of you guys know too, um, when you encounter somebody who has empty faith or dead faith, it is incredibly difficult to get them to realize it. Like how often and how easily will they admit that? I mean, they're, James has obviously interacted with these people too. And the Holy Spirit knew this text was needed because it keeps backing them into a corner. This isn't about salvation by works, but show me your faith without works. And I'm, I'm telling you, if you have faith without works, you've got dead faith and you're not, you're not saved. Whoa, but I believe James, I believe. And he goes, that's great. So do the demons. It is hard to shake people out of this sort of self-deceived thing. That's why he earlier said that if you're a hearer of the word, but not a doer, you deceive yourself. Like you really don't know what's going on. You don't even realize you're not saved. You're not saved. Um, and that I, it breaks my heart. I mean, just statistically, this video will be watched by somebody in these, in this exact situation that doesn't realize it's not like do these works and you'll be saved. It's like, no, you have not really truly turned in faith to Jesus. You don't have a living faith. You just have a dead faith. And, um, and I just hope and pray that their eyes get opened as they even, uh, hear this message. So let's keep reading. He, he, uh, he decides to further, further shake the person out of their slumber and says in verse 20, do you want to be shown a foolish person that faith apart from works is useless? He calls him a fool. Um, not because he's trying to be insulting, but because he's trying to help them see it. I mean, if you're thinking, I, I believe, I believe, I know I'm not living it out. I know I'm not following Jesus, but deep in my heart, I believe it's true. I'm, I think I'm okay because deep in my heart, I believe it's true. And I'll be like, if it's only deep in your heart, then I mean, <laughs> what does that really mean? Deep in your heart, you believe it's true. Oh, foolish person. Do you want to be shown that faith apart from works is useless? So in, in the context now, he's not saying 
you need this many works to get saved. No, he's saying this kind of faith that doesn't motivate action, that doesn't lead you into living a life for Christ, that kind of faith is useless. It is of no benefit. It does not produce salvation. Powerful stuff. And he'll use an Old Testament uh, passage to demonstrate it. And here, because you might be sensing as I'm sharing this stuff, you might be like, Mike, you know, I feel like, especially if you don't hear me really carefully, you'll feel like I'm dancing on salvation by works, even though I can, I, I keep refuting it actually with my words, but, but just the words themselves, I say faith without works and stuff, but you've got to hear this and you've got to get the solid in your life. Um, there's a reason why James two is in the Bible. And even though it made Luther mad, <laughs> it's, it's good that it's there and we need to understand it carefully. Um, so let's read on verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Okay, so there's a bunch of stuff that's all now uh, kind of coming together. Uh, what I said earlier about the meaning of justification, we'll come to that in a second. But again, let me, let me point out something in case you've missed it as I've been going through, or maybe I didn't share it well enough. Everything so far, James is not talking about how you get saved. That's assumed it's by faith. James is talking about how you show you have faith. Get this. He's not talking about how salvation is accomplished. He's talking about how salvation is demonstrated. That is a massive different issue and it helps us understand the passage and it works so perfectly with what he quotes from Abraham. Check this out. Um, in verse 21, he says, when not, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his, uh, his son Isaac on the altar. So again, justified, the, the theological meaning of justified means you're made righteous, but the word meaning itself just means to show or prove to be right. It can also mean to make righteous, to, to proclaim someone as righteous, to vindicate. So um, I think we have clear indicators in James 2 that the term justified is not being used in the theological sense. It cannot mean that theological sense. And I'll say this, when I, when I first heard James 2, especially di uh, dialoguing with Catholics, I was like, oh yeah, you know, I, I don't really know how to refute that. But when I sat down and I studied the passage in context, it was like the light went on and I thought, how could anybody use this passage for this? That's not what it's saying. But what it's saying is very important, but it's not justification in the salvific sense. How do I know that? Let's read verse 21 again. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? So this justification of Abraham happened at a specific moment, according to James. And that justification, whether it was salvific or if it just meant proven to be true, you know, proven that he had real faith, whichever one he meant, it happened when Isaac was offered on the altar. And that's what rules out the salvific meaning because Abraham was justified in a salvific sense decades earlier in Genesis 15. Let me read the passage to you and you consider this. Is this a salvation justification in Genesis 15? It certainly is. Genesis 15, 4, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall be, shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Uh, that was uh, Eliezer, his, his uh, servant will not be his heir someone who will be born from him. Then he brought him outside. God brings him outside, says, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. I love the visual, right? Abraham's like in a tent. He's asked to come outside the tent and he looks up at the sky and he sees the stars and God goes, look up, try to count them. 
You can't. And, uh, and he says to him, so shall your descendants be. And verse six, and he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Abraham believed in God and faith was accounted to him for righteousness. Now this is not, clearly this is not justification in some sense of Abraham was proven to be a true person. No, it's, it doesn't even use the word just justified. It says, and God accounted it to him for righteousness. And this is of course what Romans talks about. Galatians talks about. This is the theological meaning. So when was Abraham justified or accounted righteous? It was in Genesis 15, decades, years and years before the Isaac incident that James talks about in James chapter two. So what, what's the Isaac incident? Let's look at that. Um, verse uh, 22, 12 of, of Genesis. So you, you, you guys, actually, most of you know the story, right? Abraham, he's, he's told to offer his son and he prepares to do the sacrifice. God stops him and then tells him this in Genesis twenty two twelve. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now I know. See, what, what justification happened with Abraham when he offered up his son? His faith was proven true. You really did believe God, didn't you, Abraham? How do I know? Because I, as a human, I saw you offer your son as a sacrifice. You really do believe. You really do believe. That fits exactly the theology of, of, of James, the theology of, of Galatians, Romans, it all works. Let me read James again so we can see it in this context. Knowing there was these decades difference between when he was declared righteous and uh, accounted righteous, I should say, and when he was justified in the James sense. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? When he offered up his son Isaac on the altar, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says, going back decades, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. So yes, you're saved by just faith, but you demonstrate that faith by works, even though they may come years later. <laughs> if you really believe, give it some time, you will bear fruit that shows that you have that faith. So what justification happened when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? He was just demonstrated or shown to be true in his faith. That, that's the justification. Not even possible that the theological meaning is meant there. It's ruled out by the context of Genesis. Verse 24. He says, you see, that, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Again, that word justified here means vindicated, demonstrated. Connecting it to earlier in James, he says, I will show you my faith a person is shown to another person their faith. It's not about how I'm saved before God. It's how I demonstrate that before people, how I show it to them. Uh, that justification of, of my claim to be a Christian, that's produced by works. So I'll show you my faith by my, work, by my works. Just like Abraham was justified by works when we went, saw his faith played out in his offering of Isaac. Beautiful, important truth. Definitely not Catholic theology. Definitely not Mormon theology. Definitely not Jehovah's Witness teaching or any other uh, group. Verse 25, and in the same way was not uh, Rahab, also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Obviously, you know, whatever sense in which Abraham was justified, Rahab was also justified in the same sense. That's the context of the passage. So if Abraham was justified in the sense of a demonstration that his faith is real, he's validated, then so Rahab was given that same validation. Uh, to show that she has living faith because she took action based upon those things. 
And then verse 26, our last verse in James, I have a few other things to share with you. And then I'll take your guys' questions. Questions, challenges, disagreements, put them in the live chat on YouTube, and I will uh, respond to those live with you right now, um, very graciously and happily I will. Um, verse 26, it says, for as the body, apart from the work, uh, excuse me, apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The issue here isn't, you have to have this thing called faith. And if you have faith without works, you're lost or faith with works, you're saved. No, no, no. He's describing two different kinds of faith. Faith that's alive, faith that's dead. And how does one tell which faith you have? Well, faith with works, that must be the faith that's alive. Faith without the works, that's faith that's dead. Just like a body without the spirit or a body with no pulse, with no breathing, with, with no movement, well, that must be a dead body, okay? And a body that's moving, that must be alive. So the symptoms of life are the things that the, spirit's, the spirit is invigorating the body. And so the symptoms of faith, that faith is alive, are that works are coming from that person's life. This is the theology of James. It's beautiful. It's great. And it's radically abused and butchered by every, every false and twisted group out there when it comes to the gospel, twisting the gospel. They always use James too. That's why you need to know this passage. That's why I thought uh, studying it together thoughtfully, carefully would uh, produce, hopefully, um, an army of people who know how to use James too properly. Um, so what kind of faith do you have? That's the question. Do you have this faith that saves or that faith that doesn't? Well, I don't know. Well, why don't you check it by your works? Just like you check the vitals of a, of a person to see if they're alive. Um, vitals don't make them alive, but they're symptoms of that. So uh, dead faith doesn't save you. Living faith does save you, but it's faith that saves just in James, as it is in Galatians, as it is in Romans, as it is in reality. So here's a summary of some of the theological points I've made. And then I'm going to give you um, a summary of my methodology. And then I'll, I'll challenge us with, what if I was wrong? What would that imply? Um, I think this is a systematic way of thinking about it. And hopefully it's helpful for you. This passage does not combat or contradict the idea of salvation by faith uh, apart from works. That's one theological point. This does, I can be fully assured that I can say I'm saved by faith alone apart from works. That's definitely biblical teaching. And this does not challenge it. It combats the idea of dead faith saving the simply, I believe, even though I don't follow Jesus with my life, what, what James would say is, well, you don't really believe in the way that Jesus is asking you to, uh, in a salvific way, your faith is dead. So it's not about how somebody gets saved, gets, catch this. James assumes you know the gospel, salvation by faith. This is not about how you get saved. It's how you show you're saved to someone else. How do I prove to you that I'm a Christian? Look at my life. Does my life prove it? If not, then maybe I'm not. Works demonstrate saving faith. So mere intellectual belief is not what's meant by saving faith. Although we have intellectual belief. Um, in that sense, no, that's not, that's not what it's about. Real saving faith is living faith and it results in works. And works here are finally not salvific. Works don't take dead faith and turn it into living faith. You still need to get living faith. Works are a result. They're not the cause. They're the effect. That's the difference. So in the formula for salvation that I would get from Catholicism, it would be, um, and not every Catholic would agree, but I think I, the Council of Trent would agree with me on this, right? So it's salvation is faith plus works equals salvation. But the Christian definition, and James would agree, is faith equals salvation plus works. Ah, if I'm really saved, works will come. 
how do I prove that, that, that real faith is there? Well, are there real works here? Cause it will result in works. Um, now listen real, real quickly to what I did not do. I did not rely on quotes outside the Bible just now to subvert a simple study of the text, right? We just studied the text. I did not offer pretty analogies to move away from the meaning of the text in its context. I didn't read deep theological meanings into words, specialized meanings into words that are used in a variety of ways. I just let the word mean what it means, justified as in validated. Um, I used, uh, I didn't use one observation to distract from the context, the contextual interpretation. So I didn't go, well, the only time the Bible says faith alone is when it says not by faith alone, except it's obviously not, not talking about the same thing that the person is talking about uh, in that context. Um, I did not rely on misrepresenting anybody. I didn't demonize people. I just demonstrated the text and harmonization helps me because now when I go back to Romans and Galatians and Ephesians, it all is perfectly harmonized. This all goes together, but I don't even know how. And I actually want to know, like if you're a Catholic and you're watching this and you're theologically minded, what do you do with Romans eleven six, where it says, if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise grace would no longer be grace. It's like, is it by grace or works? And the two are, are diametrically opposed. If you're going to say it's faith plus works, well, Romans eleven six tells you, no, that's not an option. It's by grace, not works. Otherwise, grace isn't even grace. Um, it's just definitional. Romans 4 gets, gets across the same point. It says, now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. So like, what do you do as a Catholic with that passage? Now, I see James just totally in harmony with Romans and Galatians. And I don't see how you could, how you could, I don't know how you could deal with it. If you take James out of context, you read theological meanings into justification instead of just the word. I don't know what you do with Ephesians 2. In fact, Ephesians 2 is like echoing James. It says, for by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship. And here's James created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I'm saved by grace apart from works, but that results in works. So how do I show I'm saved? I show the result of salvation in my life. Um, yeah, I, I'd love to see the Catholic view on Galatians, Romans, Ephesians, um, and even interact with someone if, 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 if they're, you know, put up a video or two showing me that you, you can interact rationally on the issue. And I'd love to talk with you about it uh, openly because I think people learn a lot from those kinds of conversations. So there you go. There you go. Now, uh, somebody might follow up and say, but Mike, you've ignored Romans too. Actually, um, I have a video on Romans too, where it talks about being uh, saved, saved by works. Yeah, it's not what it's about, but it's actually called the most misunderstood passage in the book. Um, or most misused passage in the book. So I have a video on Romans 2. I'll put a link in the description after the chat. And what I want to do right now is, um, uh, AJ, if there are any questions, if you could go ahead and send those over to me, that would be great. Um, okay, so I'm going to wait for your guys' questions to come in. If you have a question, put it in the live chat right now. I have something to share while I stall for time. Um, I just, I want to hear especially from people who disagree with me, I, not so I can attack you. I want you to get a chance to voice your opinion. I've been talking for a while, so you get to share your opinion. 
and what you what you don't agree with. And if if you do agree, uh, if you're a Catholic, I just saw in the chat there's a Catholic who says I agree with you. I think you're right there. So my question is, do you do you disagree with the Catholic doctrine, or do you just think that the Catholic doctrine is different than what I think it is? Like, what do you think about that? Um, that'd be my question for you, uh, Martin. I'd also like to know. Um, I'd like you to know that the reality is there's a reason for James too. There's a lot of people out there who think that they know Christ and they don't. And I can't think of, of, of anything more important than knowing Jesus, man, than knowing that you're saved and having true faith in, in Jesus Christ. If you're, if your life, like if you're just being attacked by the enemy and you're just paranoid because your life isn't perfect and so you get beat up all the time and if there's any any area of your life where you're struggling then you feel like you must not be saved like that's that's the enemy i don't think you i think you need to like you need to have more trust in god's grace and mercy um, and realize you're putting a burden on yourself that you probably wouldn't even apply to anyone else, right? Anyone else in your shoes, you would say, "Oh, you're you're a believer, you're saved. Look, your life has been changed by Jesus," you know. But but maybe there is a person listening who you you don't follow Jesus. Like you just don't like to you works is like when you every once in a while go to church, but my entire life is about the Lord as a Christian. I have a kingdom mindset. I control my tongue because of Jesus. I, I change the things I like and love because of him. I love others. I, I love God first. Like I'm not saying sinless perfection or something along those lines, but I'm saying a transformed life an evidence of your faith. If you can't show your faith by your works, you don't have saving faith. That's James chapter two. And you need to repent. There's a solution. See, this is not a condemnation. It's all over. This is a wake up call, right? There's a mirror being held up to say, Hey, you need Jesus. Like you've got to give your life to Jesus Christ. You need to get down on your knees and repent of your, of your, um, your, your lack of belief. The, the difference between you and the demons is that they tremble and you boast. Like they believe in God and they're scared of judgment. You believe in God and you think judgment's a joke because you haven't really offered your life to the Lord. And, um, and so give your life to Christ, give your life to Christ. I pray that you would have a godly fear and that would lead you to a repentance and that then you would be able to say, no, my life has been changed. Um, so let me, uh, let me take any questions you guys have now. I, I think I have a few now coming in. Okay. So, uh, from Ben Zeeland, Ben Zeeland, it says, um, what do you think about the appearances of the Virgin Mary? Um, you know, I, I've never looked like deeply into those things, the appearances of the Virgin Mary. Largely, I tend to be very, like my default position is to be fairly skeptical on claims like that. I realize how easily people are fooled and tricked and how once a story starts, like I remember when somebody as a joke told some kids that there was like ghosts in our church as a joke, they told them this. And then some of those kids later were like, yeah, we saw him, we saw the ghost. It was just like, it was psychosomatic. You know what I mean? It was just, just kids. They probably played playing Slenderman on back when it was a, when it was a new thing. And I, I, I don't want to mock. I'm not mocking at all. I just saying that I think people are like that. So I tend to be extremely skeptical, but let's say hypothetically that there's an appearance like of the Virgin Mary and, and at least what we think is the Virgin Mary. And then People are being led to worship there and to build altars and to make offerings and to make trips to that place. I think that that's not a godly thing. I mean, I don't think that that's biblical. I don't think it's sound. I, I, 
I, I don't think so. I, I think that this is something that the, the Catholic Church started doing in the Middle Ages and they never stopped. And um, not just the Catholic Church, but people were doing back then and they, and they just never stopped. Um, it'd, be, it'd be worth me doing a longer answer to that question with some actual research and stuff behind it. But I the, the altars I've seen seemed very pagan to me and didn't seem Christ honoring and the, the distraction from Jesus that it becomes. I think Mary would be bothered. I think if she could show up, she would show up at those places and knock those altars down and tell people to, to get back to Jesus. So, um, yeah, this is a question from spades nuke spades nuke. Um, I am a Protestant that believes in faith only for justification. In my opinion, James two teaches that faith that doesn't result in repentance and the want of turning away of crazy sin. Like you can't think that murder is right and have saving faith. I believe in just in faith justification. I believe that James two is teaching that you can't have saving faith if it doesn't produce repentance and turning away from sin like murder. What do you think about this? I would agree with you except for the, okay. So from what I understand about your question, it's the idea that murder becomes the big one, right? Like, like I'm going to, I'm going to compartmentalize sin, which I'm not actually opposed to the idea entirely. Uh, there are different levels of sin, so to speak. Sin, it, it, some sins are worse than others. I know some are, are really bothered that I just said that right now, but if, if you'll think about it for a moment, um, the law has different consequences for sin. Doesn't that imply that sins have different degrees? Jesus talked about how some would suffer greater judgment than others. That implies that certain sins have greater punishment because they're worse. All sin is horrifically evil. Um, and that's a mistake people make. They think some sins are little. They're not little. They're just not as bad as the other one. And that that's where I would say I would maybe disagree. Um, murder of course is, is, is pretty serious, but Jesus, he seemed to elevate this. And he says like, Hey, you hate your brother in your heart. You've committed murder in your heart. You look with lust. You've committed adultery in your heart. So he's showing us that even, even those issues are things that need to be brought to the Lord. Um, I don't think any Christian is, is, is sinless. Um, if they are, then I, I really want them to make a YouTube channel and teach us how to do that. Um, <laughs> And I wouldn't mind hanging out with them for a week just to see if they're real because <laughs> I doubt it. But, um, but yeah, I think that maybe you need to have a much bigger list than murder. Um, a much bigger list than murder. Is, is there the results of sanctification in your life? Is that happening? That's the question. Um, obviously we can, uh, we can find any one sin and condemn ourselves over it eternally, but, but the alternative of having one really bad sin. As long as I don't do that, I'm okay. Um, I don't think that's biblical. Uh-oh. Sometimes this, this, my app like jumps around. Okay, here it is from Douglas Dobbins. Do you think that, uh, do you think faith necessarily produces works or just that works are the only way the world can see our faith? I'd say James two teaches about justification in the eyes of men, not God. Um, okay. The way you just put that is fantastic. I think, uh, James two speaks about justification in the eyes of man not God. Yes. And I would also say a different kind of justification, justification in the sense of proof. Whereas in the eyes of God, my justification comes in a sense of a salvation. Um, so do I think that faith, faith, yes, necessarily faith will produce works, but it takes time. In the example of Abraham, it was years between one and the other. Uh, James is just speaking about works in general. He's not talking about sacraments. He's not suggesting that. Um, in fact, isn't it interesting that, sorry, I'll come back to your question. <laughs> That, um, that all of the groups who use James 2, they don't take the examples of James of good works and say, do these, right? Control your tongue, uh, help people in need, keep yourself unspotted from the world. Those aren't the examples of works. Their examples of works are, 
you have to do our list of things, right? You have to speak in tongues or you're not saved. You have to um, come underneath the Pope or you're not saved. You have to have the Eucharist confirmation. You have to have, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses have their list of, of works that have to be performed. The Mormons have their list of good works. They all have their list, but that's not James's list, nor is he talking about it, performing those for the sake of salvation. So, but how does this apply to see the thief on the cross? The thief on the cross, he dies right after putting faith in Jesus, deathbed conversion, no good works, none to demonstrate his faith. Now, had he lived, would he have played out good works? Yes, he would. And that's, that's what James is talking about. Someone who's, who's Christian and they're living life, where's the fruit? Um, and it really is the only way to prove you have real faith to the world or to other believers for that matter. From Jasad Stewart, the question is, uh, I was told, told by a pastor today that apologetics isn't as effective for speaking to millennials. However, our personal testimonies are. I think both are imperative when ministering to unbelievers. Thoughts? Um, I've heard this before myself where people say that apologetics is not, is not effective. Apologetics doesn't work. Um, I find myself seriously questioning the people who say this. I get messages. Okay. I, I have a small online ministry. I mean, compared to other ministries, I have a small online ministry and I get messages regularly from people who've been impacted and affected by the use of apologetics. In fact, it's one of the things people are the most excited about the things that I do is my videos where I deal with apologetics. Um, there's people who've been saved by countless people have been saved through things like evidence that demands a verdict or through um, watching the debates that William Lane Craig does. Apologetics is effective. And to say it's not means you're, you're one, you're not paying attention. And two, you're the kind of person that's okay. Just blanket dismissing things without even knowing the truth about it, because it's not true. Like that's just not true. Apologetics is effective. I think that there's an ulterior motive probably for why they would want to, to say it's not effective. And I don't think that that's wise. Not to mention a careful study of the book of Acts reveals a consistent use of apologetics, a consistent use of apologetics. So you're actually um, like, would you, I mean, you have to tell that to Paul, Paul, I know you're reasoning from the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah because he's fulfilled prophecy. You know, you go into the synagogues and you do this all the time, but that's not effective, Paul. Like, okay. Read your Bible, buddy. <laughs> um, yeah. Now it's possible they've been exposed to really negative apologetics or apologi apologists who have bad character, ungodly character. And ungodly character is not good, but apologetics is very effective. Um, okay. From TD, it says, all of my non-Christian friends are extremely interested in understanding why we should believe any worldview. Well, that's a really interesting thing. Um, I don't think you have a choice. I think you're going to believe a worldview. The only question is, is your worldview consistent or inconsistent? That's one question. I should say there's another one. And is your worldview accurate or inaccurate? So you can have a consistent worldview that's not true, or you can have an inconsistent worldview, which obviously can't be fully true if it's inconsistent with itself. So someone who, who thinks like, I think we all just go wherever we think we're going to go when we die. And yet, you know, then you ask them about Hitler and they're like, oh, that guy went to hell. You know, they're like, okay, you have an inconsistent worldview for sure. Um, I, I would say an atheist who believes in, in genuine morality, in my opinion, has an inconsistent worldview and an inaccurate worldview. Um, so yeah, like your, your friends, they, they already believe a worldview. The question is, is it accurate? You can't avoid it. It's, it's not avoidable. Yeah, it's just the question of being whether it's accurate or not. I think that that's actually an attempt, in my opinion, 
uh, to avoid having to decide anything because it's so much nicer to be the critic sitting on the sidelines, just kind of casually criticizing people. And then when people are like, well, what do you think? You don't ever offer what you really believe, what you really think, because then you wouldn't be able to survive your own criticisms. Um, and so it's kind of like an intellectual laziness that really undermines a person from finding the truth. Uh, from Troy uh, Geds or Geddes, does Mike believe that Romans 4.16 is based on saving faith? Does Mike believe that Abraham is a prototype for saving faith? Um, I'm going to bring up Romans 4.16. Um, and it says, uh, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. I think that um, Romans 4.16 is both about saving faith and about a specific promise that Abraham received. So because Abraham believed in the specific promises God gave, so he's believing in God, he has saving faith. But not everyone's saving faith will result in believing in the same promises in the same way. I know that's that's nuanced, but I th think that that's what Romans 4.16 is about. And your, uh, your second question was, do I believe that Abraham is a prototype for saving faith? Absolutely. I don't think that there's any way around it. I think Abraham is, is, is lifted up as being the example of how we are saved by faith. And that this understanding that really, really changes the way you understand Galatians. And Romans, especially Romans four, um, where he's building a careful case. In fact, I have I have Bible studies all the way through Romans fifteen now, and so I encourage you to go look at Romans four if you're interested in more of my opinions on that. That's all online. And from Blaine McKenzie, I think this will be our last question. It says, uh, "And hi, Blaine. Good to, good to hear from you. Um, why does Paul say that in First Corinthians thirteen two that though uh, though he have all though he has all faith, it's useless if he doesn't have love." Is he teaching faith plus love? Okay, that's a really interesting. I'm going to bring up uh, the passage real quick. 1 Corinthians 13.2. Okay, um, let's just read it in, in context. Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And he goes on. Um, uh, here, uh, Paul is not, I don't believe Paul's speaking about saving faith at all. I think that he's talking about faith to move mountains. So there's 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 faith. I, I know that the two are connected in some sense, but there's a difference between I believe in Christ and therefore I'm saved and I'm praying for this thing. God grants me faith to believe him on this issue and some crazy, amazing miracle happens. That wasn't saving faith. Right, that was faith for miracles, which is a little different. And so, um, let's suppose that God's granting you this gift of faith, and you're believing Him and praying. These wonderful miracles are happening, yet you don't have love. You're nothing. You're not special. You're nothing. So my answer, Blaine, would be: I don't think that that's about saving faith at all. So it's not saying faith plus love equals salvation. It's it's just saying um, any of these incredible Christian qualities of tongues, prophecy, miracles. You take out love and it's pointless. It's, it's, so he's showing them, quote, the more excellent way in 1 Corinthians uh, 13. So I think that's all the questions. So I have a, I have a quick announcement for you guys. <clears throat> and it's that um, I am now on um, a podcast. It's, so it's official. Um, I've received some encouragement from people online to, get, to do a podcast. And I finally actually got it going. It took a long time because it turned out I had to have a website before a podcast. 
and the website took a lot longer than I thought. And, um, but the website's up, that's biblethinker.org. But you can also find me now on iTunes and Stitcher, and I'm trying to get onto other pod catching, you know, platforms as well. So if you want to go look up either my, my name, Mike Winger, or if you look at Bible Thinker, you should be able to find my podcast there. It's probably got six or seven episodes so far, and I'll be uploading a bunch more very rapidly because I'm going to get us all caught up to where we are now. And you can listen without the data issues that some people have trying to watch this stuff on YouTube. And hopefully, hopefully that'll be a, a big blessing uh, for you guys and just be able to be used for the kingdom. Um, I love getting to do this. Uh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited about biblical truth and sharing it. And I love taking challenging and hard issues and getting the clarity that comes from God's word because God's already built clarity into the text. We just have to spend the time reading and studying it to get that clarity. It's, it's all, it's all there. Um, I'm so my confidence and trust, not only in the truthfulness of God's word, but its sufficiency has grown year by year by year. The more I've studied it and the more I've researched it. And I'm, uh, excited to not just make that claim, but, but to get that teaching out and do the, at least the best of my ability, whatever gifting God's given me to get that teaching out, make it as accessible as possible. So, um, podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, they've both approved my podcast, at least for now, hopefully it stays that way. It's free. You can, you can download and get it all there. You could also listen to the audio of some of these things on biblethinker.org or I don't know, 180 videos or whatever that are up on that website as well. It's all free. And that'll be it until um, until next time. Thanks, guys, again for being here. Thank you, AJ, for monitoring the, the live chat. And anybody who's uh, stuck with me this long, um, I appreciate your prayers, if you can. I mean, you're, you're here this long in the live stream because you, you probably care about this ministry and you think there's a value in it. I greatly appreciate those those prayers of yours. I'm, I'm seeking to try to keep pushing that forward. Um, it's the only difficult thing for me is, is the amount of time it takes because I'm, uh, I'm definitely a little bit overworked at the moment. I'm trying to figure out how to create that balance. Um, I, I wouldn't want to, uh, to, to overdo it, but I do want to get spent for the Lord. So appreciate your guys, uh, your guys time and your support and even your disagreement. You think I'm nuts. You think I'm wrong. Put it in the chat. Tell me not if, if you're, if you listen, say this is not live anymore and you're watching the replay, please. Oh, please put, why I'm wrong, not just that I'm wrong, specifically detailed, you know, answer why I'm wrong right there in the, in the, in the comments section. And if I have time, I'll reply, but it's not enough to just say Protestants are always blank, 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 like big baby head, right? That that's what that is. And we're not interested. So, and if you do check out the podcast, if you go and you have a chance to rate it and give it, if you, if you think it's worth five stars, give it five stars or give it a good rating or a review that actually really helps, uh, more people get to hear the message. All right. God bless you guys. Have a fantastic uh, day or night, wherever you are.